0: What's up? Good morning, Uh, North Point. Good morning, good morning. How you all doing? Good to see you all. Good to be back here. Good morning if you're watching online, partner churches. My name's Darren, and I was the high school pastor around here for a long time, for many years. Uh, So I always tell everybody I've got the gift of immaturity, it's my spiritual gift, and worked really well in that space. So it was super fun. But we did move to California with our family uh, in the middle of COVID. You guys heard about it, and we just thought that'd be a good time to just change our whole world. Just, now we can blame it on that, or whatever. But, um, so we moved to California, Northern California. We live in the Santa Rosa area, about an hour north of San Francisco. This is the crew now, they've grown up a little bit. This is uh, my wife Molly, two little ladies, and then Smith, he was one when we moved. He's 11 now because of the time change, so he's gotten a lot older, and so it's how it works out there. Uh, it 's a lot of fun it 's been a great journey it 's been crazy. Uh, we took over this church called uh, not took over like we took it over uh, i 'm a pastor at this church called new vintage it 's a partner church of new of north Point and uh, there 's North Point partners all over the country. There happens to be one in Santa Rosa california it was um you know, it was uh, kind of, uh, it was struggling a little bit. And so we got a chance to go out there and breathe some life into it. It's been a lot of fun to do. Uh, they're joining us today, live streaming, because the magic of live stream. Uh, new Vintage crowd, what's up? Say what's up. Just scream real loud, New Vintage. And here, everybody, just scream. Just, everybody yell, all right? I'm glad that you're here. Uh, y'all look great. Molly, you look the best. And uh, whatever he says, Kevin is not your new lead pastor. I'm coming back, Okay. So, uh, but I brought, uh, I brought some gifts for you to throw out to the crowd because I want to tell you a little bit about the space we live in. We live in, uh, in the Napa Valley area. It's wine country. So we've learned a, lot, learned a lot about wine. We've learned a lot about beautiful weather. I've stopped saying what a beautiful day because every day is a beautiful day. And Molly's like, okay, get it. I got it, okay? So it's be 70 and sunny today. Got it. Um, so it's a beautiful day today. And uh, but we live in like the rolling hills. Like we're in a valley and there's rolling hills all around us and there's vineyards everywhere. And uh, the Bodega Bay, like the California coast, is 45 minutes from our house. We go out there; it's beautiful coastline, beaches, and then, and three hours to the east is Lake Tahoe. So we go out there and did some skiing and, you know, living our best life out there. And it's a lot. Of, it's it's like a, a you know really beautiful place. And so there's these little towns around us. One is St. Helena. It's a little town. Uh, Derek Am- Amory Ridgeway lived there, friends of ours. And so I got these hats. There's these cool hats. Uh, everything's a little cooler in California. And so. These are like these cool hats that this little store sells. And so I thought I'd bring them here and give these out so that I knew that today, if this goes all wrong, at least two people will be happy with what goes on here today. So, and I got two because the price is in California. I don't know if you've heard, but, uh, you know, gas is $1,000 a gallon. So, you know, I can only get two. But uh, let me just toss one out here to the middle here. Let me see here. St. Helena, somebody get this. We used to throw CDs in the crowd as a student pastor. So dangerous. This is soft. You should be fine. Get it? Somebody get it? Oh, good catch. Nice work. There was a, if you didn't see it, there was a big fight right there for that. And then, let's go over here. This is the Russian River. A, the first time we went to Santa Rosa, Russian River, they have this uh, thing they brew once a year. And we, we were there the day they were brewing it. We had no idea. There was a line a mile long down the street. We were like, whoa, this breakfast place must be lit. Yeah, like, so good, turns out people wait all night for this thing at the Russian River. So this is, uh, let's go over here. Let's toss it out there. Get out there! Oh, that was a one-handed snag. I saw you, Terrell Owens. Okay, that's a. I don't know why I went to Terrell Owens as a receiver, but anyway, Uh, great catch. Uh, California's awesome. It's it's an amazing place. We're having a great time. It's it's a ton of fun. And when I talk about it the way I've talked about it this morning, some of you might be thinking maybe I want to move to California. You know, like maybe if you love wine country, or if you just don't like the place that you're living now. If you're thinking. I don't know that I like my life right now, that sounds like a good life, I, I, I can understand. But at the same time, my wife and I find ourselves uh, about a year and a half in, we find ourselves sort of stuck between what was home and what's becoming home. And so we find ourselves with no place that feels really like home. And so we're stuck in this place of like, is it ever gonna feel like home? Are we ever gonna stop missing home? The time change is a thing. I'm always like, uh, what time is it? Like, I'll go to call a friend, I'm like, oh, it's midnight, I can't call them now. I'll get phone calls from people at four in the morning. I'm like, I'm not picking that up right now. It's a difficult thing, right? And so oftentimes we find ourselves stuck in the middle of what was home and what yet is to become home and it's not always so beautiful. In fact, isn't it true that oftentimes the middle is a really hard place to be, to be stuck in the middle? And a lot of you already know this because there's watching online and in this room right here today, there are a lot of probably middle children, right? You, you middle children, identify yourselves, put your hand up. Just, yeah, that's right, a, a few screams, a lot of people thinking they're not even gonna look at me. I've been, if I put my hand up, they won't look at me, I'm the middle child. <laughs> no one pays attention to the middle child at all. So I don't know why I would even put my hand up because the oldest one, they're the favorite, they get whatever they want. The youngest one, they're the baby, so they need everything. You're just stuck in the middle there, right? Nobody wants to be the middle child. And when you're having a conversation and somebody turns to you and goes, well, what do you think? You solved this for us. You say to them this. You say, well, don't put me in the middle of this. Okay, I don't wanna, be because if you put me in the middle of this, I'm gonna be stuck in the middle. And I don't wanna be stuck in the middle. You ever gotten on an airplane before walking down that aisle? What are you thinking to yourself? (laughs) Please don't give me that seat right there. I don't want the middle See, middle's the worst. I don't need somebody rubbing my elbows on both sides. Just don't want that, right? What's the worst part of school to go to? Middle school. Middle school, right? It's awful. I won't even get into which finger's the worst. I won't talk about it, okay? We all know. Right? A road trip, love the beginning of a road trip. Woo! Let's go! End of a road trip, we made it! Middle of a road trip, oh my gosh. Are we there yet, are we there yet? How much longer, how much longer? And a marathon? I got no problem with the start of a marathon. I got no problem with the finish of a marathon. It's the 24 miles in between those first two miles. that I, It's the middle part that I don't like that keeps me away from a marathon. The middle can be tough. And sometimes it gets a bad rap. But the, despite that, today, I wanna take you to the middle of God's word. I wanna to go to the very middle of God's word to a book that we call Psalms. It's a book of songs, and some people pronounce it psalms. They think that uh, it's psalms, but uh, the P is silent, as it always should be in our lives. And so, and so dumb. I told you that gift of immaturity. And so Psalms is the name of this book, but if you call it psalms, we'll know what you're talking about, all right? And there's 150 of them, so I need to get started. Let's get right, read. No. <laughs> I, I like this, this book in the middle of the Bible because it's not like middle school, and it's not like the middle of a road trip, and it's not like uh, the the middle seat. It's actually good to be in the middle. It's like the heartbeat of God's Word. It's where like a lot of the emotion is. It's a a lot of where like our encouragement comes from, and, and, it, and there are emotions that are talked about in there. And for the fellas in the room, emotions are things like, you know, Uh, well, well, it's like, um, like sadness, (laughs) you know, or no, fellas, I know we're modern men, right? I mean, we're in touch with our emotions. This is the book. This is the place where you get to kind of feel what the authors are writing and what they're saying. And in the middle of this book, I I believe, I, I think, maybe, I've thought, perhaps it's in the middle to help us get through the middle of some of the hard things of life. It's written by people who were going through the middle of things that they didn't want to be going through. They found themselves in places that they didn't want to be in. In fact, throughout the Psalms other places in Scripture, you, you see phrases like even, even if, even so, even when, indicating I don't want to be here, but even when I am. I don't want to be in the middle of this, but even if or even so. And so we're going to look upon one story where we find the phrase even though. And today, this is kind of the talk of the message. It's even though, even though things aren't great, even when I find myself in the middle, even though life isn't perfect and you find yourself in spaces you don't wanna be, you and I, we can, I hope for, we can, we can have a faith that will grow even though. That our faith isn't contingent upon people and places and lives being perfect. That our faith could grow even though. I know uh, with a group this size, watching online in my own life, Sometimes it feels like I have a faith, I'll let my faith grow when things go the way that I know they should go. So that's when it'll grow, you know? And that's sometimes how I feel. Like if it's going my way, my faith is good. But as soon as I run into obstacles, difficulties, things I didn't expect, I'm out of here. Because I I don't want to go through that. But I believe that your faith, my faith, our trust and confidence in God can grow even though. And that's what I I wanna look at today. To get there, we're gonna go through just a brief history of characters in God's word real quick to get us to this guy named David who wrote some of what we're gonna find in Psalms. So start off with Abraham, right? Abraham is this guy that God has promised, I'm gonna build a great nation from you. You're gonna have a ton of kids. Abraham gets to be 100 years old. No kids, right? And it's like, uh, what? And so Abraham, his faith grows, even though he eventually has kids. He waits through the middle of that. Has kids, his kids have kids. There's one, this guy named Jacob, has a son named Joseph. And Joseph tells his older brother, someday you're gonna bow down to me, which they loved. They loved that. That was. They were just like, tell us more about that. We can't wait for that day. No, they sold him into slavery, And even though Joseph was in slavery, even though he got falsely accused, even though he got put in prison, Joseph, over and over again, the scriptures say God was with Joseph, God was with Joseph, God was with Joseph, that God was going somewhere with all these middle of the road, I don't wanna be here moments in Joseph's life. Joseph eventually does become second in command in Egypt. He saves everyone from a famine and his brothers do move to, to uh, Egypt and they do bow down to him at some point and he saves the nation. The nation begins to grow in, the, in, in Egypt. Israelites grow in Egypt, too many of them. So the Egyptians say, let's put them in slavery. Let's take care of this. Let's lock them up. And so uh, this happens for 400 years and God sends Moses and Moses goes before them. Even though he says to God, I can't, I can't speak, I can't talk. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, baby, let my people go. Uh. No, no, that's not how he said it, but that's how I said it growing up. If you, anyway, church people, if you grew up, weird church songs from back in the day. <laughs> so uh, Moses says, let my people go. He lets them go. They go in the desert, they get to the promised land, even though it took them a generation to get there. And all the while, people's faith is growing in these even though moments. And when they get to the promised land, they look around, they say, they have a king, they have a king, they have a king. We want a king. And God says, bad idea. They say, we don't care. Give us a king. God says, okay, Saul will be your first king. Saul's a decent king for a while. And then Saul begins to, to not trust God. And God says, I'm gonna get rid of you. I'm gonna make David the king. So David gets anointed as a shepherd boy to be the next king. But David doesn't get to be king right away. He moves to the palace. He plays the harp for Saul to calm him down. Saul likes him for a while until some things start to happen. One day they come back from battle, and the ladies are singing about Saul. And they're walking through town, and people have the windows open, and they're going, Saul, you've killed your thousands. And Saul's like, I love that. I love that. Sing it, ladies. I like it. But the song kept going. And David, his ten thousands. Saul's like, I hate that song. hate that song with all my heart. I'm gonna kill that guy. And so he decides, I hate David now, I'm gonna kill David. So David finds himself anointed as king, running for his life, living in the wilderness. In the middle of a moment, he doesn't want to be in. I don't know how many cave moments you've had in your life. Moments where you find yourself in a place that you don't wanna be. This thing's weighing heavy on me. I don't want it, I don't like it. How do I get out of it? David's in the middle of one of those seasons when he writes some of these songs we're gonna look at today. So we catch him up in uh, Psalm chapter 18, verse six, and David says this. He says, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. I don't know what your prayers sound like when you're stuck in the middle. I don't know if you even do pray in the middle, but my challenge or my encouragement or my reminder to you today that in the middle of your worst moments of life, when life feels heavy, God hears us in the middle. It will reach his ears. God hears it. I know some of you here today watching online, I know some of you are thinking, I don't know if God hears me anymore. I don't know if God's listening and I don't know if he cares. David would remind you from his cave as he writes this song, God hears you when you cry out. He hears you, he hears you, he hears you. One of the most difficult times in my life was when I was, I turned 30 years old. I'd been dating somebody for quite a while. We broke up. I thought this was gonna be my person. And uh, the breakup happened. And uh, I'd been praying for my wife since I was 16. I, it was a weird thing my parents taught me to do. Uh, just pretend I didn't say that. And so uh, I, would, I would get home, I had this, if I had change in my pocket, uh, I would, I would um, uh, we used to have this stuff called cash, and I'd take change out. And I'd put it in a jar. And every time I threw it in the jar, I would pray for my wife, whoever she was. And it had been, I had a lot of money in that jar. And, um, and then we broke up. And I remember sitting in this balcony, in this room right back there uh, at North Point Community Church for a night of worship the night after I broke up. And I remember people singing songs, people all happy. And... Uh, <laughs> like, you guys are, it's a sad night, guys. And I remember the heaviness of it. I, I love to worship. I love to sing songs. But that night, I could not sing a song. I couldn't say a word. It was like, have you ever been so miserable you couldn't eat? Like, you just, you, you lost your appetite. You lost your heart for stuff. You just, you were so consumed by the hurt and the pain. I just was sitting in there in that moment thinking, I don't even deserve to, to sing. I don't deserve, God doesn't care about me. That night, for whatever reason, I went home, uh, I went to my cave, you know, my wilderness place, which was also known as a two-bedroom rental. And I I got on my knees. And I, I thought about, I'm gonna go get drunk. I, I thought about, I'm gonna use a substance. I need to feel good, because I do not feel good. And, and Lord willing, uh, praise be to God, for whatever reason, I got beside my bed that night, and I just started praying. I started crying out to God. And I sat there for probably 30 minutes, and I said, God, I need your peace to come over me. I got, you gotta take this feeling off of me. You gotta, I feel so lonely. I feel, t- it's too old. I feel like I gotta start over. I feel like I don't know what to do. I feel lonely and lost. All my friends are married. I've been praying for 14 years. Uh, come on. This is wrong, Lord. And uh, that night, in that moment, for the very, one of the, one of the tangible times in my life that I remember, the sense of God's presence and peace falling over me. And so I went back the night after night after night, and I learned that when I cry out to God, he hears me. That if I'll, if I'll just beg him, he'll hear me. God hears you in the middle. There have been plenty of times when I did it wrong, but I promise you, when you cry out to him, he'll hear you. Second thing I wanna remind you of in the middle is that sometimes in the middle, You just need encouragement and you need somebody. God will send somebody to you if you ask him for it. Look what happens with with David and Jonathan. David's in this cave and Jonathan, his best bro comes to him and he says, he literally, David's in the cave. Jonathan comes to him. He says, don't be afraid, bro, homie, I got you. Jonathan reassures him. My father will never find you. He ain't gonna find you. David, he's not finding you, okay? I'll, I'll make sure of that. I'll throw him off the trail, bro. I got this, okay? I'm your guy. I got your back, Okay, I'm watching you. My father's not gonna find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. It's your time, dude. You got it. And I will be next to you as my father is well aware. He knows it. He knows it, guy. Can you imagine the feeling for David alone in the cave, in the despair, and the d- depression? His best friend runs to him and goes, yo, man, come on. You got this. Over the last couple of years, moving from Georgia to California, feeling like we're starting from like, the bottom. When we got to California, there were like 75, 80 people in the parking lot. We weren't allowed to meet inside. Our very first service indoors was March, 21, uh, March 2021. We had 15 people at the 9 a.m. service, you know? And I was like, all right, I'm gonna <laughs> preach my heart out. Why don't you guys bring it in? Bring it in a little bit. You know, it's like, ah, this is rough. And I needed encouragement. And I've got a friend named Ryan who's here this morning that he would just send these notes and he'd send a, a check in the mail to support us. And I know he was doing it to support me. He didn't even know those people. So he'd send these letters and there's one of them. I'd get them in the mail and I'd put them on my desk and I'd go, I'm not alone. I got a Jonathan in my life. This one just says, love you, proud of you. You know what that meant to me in this season when I was like out there just feeling like I was on an island by myself, just like trying to do this thing? to to my my bro comes to my cave, and he goes, love you, proud of you. I put this on my shelf, because I was like, one person does. You know, like, (laughs) let's do this, you know. I'd go the next day. This one just says, I mean, it's not many words. Love you, bro, praying for you. Keep pointing people to Jesus, proud of you. Give a hug to Molly and the girls. Blessings, Ryan and Katie. And it's like, I just put them up on my wall, and I, I look at them every once in a while. I'm like, my guy's got me. I got, somebody's in my corner. We need encouragement in the middle. We gotta have it. And if we ask God for it, I want you to know that God will encourage us in the middle. He will. Just ask him for it. God will encourage you in the middle. I know you're walking through something hard. I know it seems difficult. But I know that God knows you need it and he'll give it to you. He will encourage you in the middle. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. In one of my most difficult times, I had a friend say to me, hey, I'd like to set you up with some counseling. And I was real mad at the time. And I said, listen, I'd rather you set me up with a cage match. I'd rather do that right now. And I eventually got the counseling because when you're in the middle, two things are gonna happen. Um, You're either gonna, and here's, by the way, everybody's in the middle of something. Everybody. Everybody you know is in the middle of something. All of us. Right? And when you're in the middle, two things are gonna happen. You're either going to get bitter or you're going to get better. And my friend said to me, You gotta go see a counselor because you're gonna get bitter. And I was starting to get bitter and I didn't wanna get bitter. I wanted to get better. So I went and I found the encouragement that I needed from someone who knew what to say. So, two quick questions for you today. Number one, do you need encouragement? Do you need to go see somebody? Do you need to invite somebody into your story? Because if you don't, you're gonna get bitter. And you're gonna live a bitter life. And you don't wanna live bitter. You wanna live better. And the middle can make you better if you'll let it. But if you don't get the encouragement you need, oftentimes it will leave you bitter. And I don't want that. Second question is this. Maybe you're not in the middle of something hard right now. Maybe who do you know who needs encouragement? Send that text, send that letter. Give them a phone call. Appropriately slide it into their DMs. Do something to let them know you've got their back, because people who are in the middle need encouragement, and God will use you to encourage them. As David's story continues, he writes another song in the middle. This one is found in Psalm chapter 59, and as he writes it, um, you'll you'll be surprised to hear what it is. I want to Here's, here's what it is, it's, it goes like this. It goes, why don't you just meet me in the middle? I'm losing my mind just a little. It's not, that's the wrong one, can we get the, no. No, when you're in the middle of a mess, your songs that you write are not like, party in the U.S. that's not what, how you write when you're in the middle. When you're in the middle, you write raw, real, honest, hard lyrics that seem, you know, that are just honest. And David writes Psalm 59 in the middle of this mess, and I wanna read you just a portion of it today. It goes like this. In Psalm 59, we find David kind of frustrated. And he says, rescue me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who have come to destroy me. O Lord of, God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, wake up and punish those hostile nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. And then he says, don't kill them for my people soon forget such lessons. No, no, just stagger them with your power. Bring them to their knees, O Lord, our shield. And then he changes his mind. And he's like, you know what? No, destroy them in your anger. Wipe them out completely. Then the whole world will know that God reigns in Israel. My enemies come out at night snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. They scavenge for food, but go to sleep unsatisfied. I hate them. He's just like, God, get them. I just don't like him. But he finishes the psalm like this. He says, but as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning, I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. Oh, my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, O oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. And I read that psalm to you, thinking about David in the middle and writing it, so that you can see the raw real emotion of a person in the middle. Because isn't it true when you're in the middle of something hard, when you're going through something you don't like, it's just raw in there, it's just real, it's just honest, and you need a place where you can just say it? But David lands on this truth that God is his place of refuge. God is the one who brings victory. It's not himself, he can't fix it himself. There's a God in heaven that he's turning to. And I, and I, I say that to say that, that when David recognizes David's belief about God being his source of victory, it will inform his behavior and his decisions when stuck in the middle. You've done some dumb stuff in the middle, haven't you? I've made some poor decisions in my hurt. I've said some things I shouldn't have said, I felt some ways that I, and, and I, I, I spoke from that feeling, I, I hurt somebody, I tried something to try and fix the pain. But his confidence that God would give him victory, even though life wasn't going his way, it would inform his behavior as life went on. There's this famous cave scene that happens. Saul's out trying to kill David, he's looking for him in the caves, the wilderness, and uh, Saul has to use the restroom, as we all do when we're trying to hunt down our enemies. right? And so he goes into a cave and he he has to disrobe for whatever reason. We don't have to get into it. He's just, he's in there. He's taking it off and he's gonna use the restroom. And David and his men are hiding in the very cave that Saul's using the restroom in. Can you imagine that moment as David and the guys see what's happening? They're like, oh, David, bro, that's Saul. He naked. We could take him. Oh, we're, oh it is on David, 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 Get him, go kill him. And so he, David sneaks over there. And I wonder, I just wonder if the guys were like, should we go, you know, like, should we go too? No, he's got it. He did that bear thing, the lion thing. He sold that store. I think he's got it. He can take Saul, he's naked, he's fine. Go David, go, go, go. And they're watching, David goes over. Cuts off a piece of the cloth of his robe. He comes back to the guys. And I can imagine the guys being so disappointed in David in that moment. David's like, I got a piece of cloth. (laughs) And they're like, that's great, Dave. Not even gonna call you David. This is Dave. Way to go. What are you doing? Take him out. Let's get out of the middle. We're in a cave, dude, running for our life. Let's end it now. David waits for Saul to leave, walks out behind him and he says this. He's holding up the hem. He says, "Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you." And then he says this, "This proves that I am not trying to harm you, and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me, even though you put me in the middle, even though you're doing this to me, I'm not doing it to you. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. My behavior is based on the fact that I believe there's a victor besides me. Someone else is in the middle of this. It's not just me. There's a God behind all this. It's not just me. He put you in charge. He put me in charge. I'll let him stay in charge. And David realized in the middle that sometimes in the middle, waiting on God is more important than winning in the moment. He got an early release of Andy's book, Not In It To Win It, long time ago. David said, I'm not in it to win it. I'm not just trying to win here, I'm trying to trust God with my whole life. And David in that moment teaches us and he learns, you know what, getting something out of the middle is more important than getting out of the middle. You just wanna get out of the middle. You just wanna feel good again. And David's going, no, growing my confidence in God is more important right now than just getting out of this thing. So getting something out of what I'm in is more important than just getting out of it. And we see David write about this in another Psalm, Psalm 27, when he says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. God's up to something. You don't have to do it yourself, wait on him. And David is, he says this great line as he's talking to Saul with the hymn in his hand. He says, hey Saul, even though you did something, I will make sure I do something. I'm not gonna let your behavior and this situation, this middle thing that I'm in, it won't determine what I do. My confidence in God is what will determine what I do. He's really saying this, even though things don't go my way, I will choose to honor God anyway. Even though things are not going my way right now, I'm gonna choose to honor the process and the God who's got me in the middle of the process. That's what I'm gonna do with my life. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use my hands in this moment because my hands aren't powerful enough. Because if I, take, if I use my hands in this moment to take my victory right now, then the rest of my life is on me. It's on my hands, I gotta do the rest too. Because I'm in charge. The other day we were at my friend Mario and Jenny's house and uh, my, my son brought me this glove and uh, it was the uh, Thanos glove. If you're a Marvel fan, last, last hour I called it the wrong name because I'm not a Marvel fan and Marvel uh, fans were really jumping all over me. <laughs> really frustrated, they were hurt. Their feelings were hurt um, that I didn't know. I, I'm not a Marvel character but I, I learned a little bit about it that night because my friend said, oh, don't put that hand on your dad. That's the most powerful hand in the world. You don't want him to have it and I said, oh no, give me that hand. So I put it on, and I said to my son, you better back up. I will crush you. I started messing around, so I bought one for them, and at home, my kids put it on, and they they do the floor is lava game. I don't know if you have seen that or play it, but they'll just go, the floor is lava, and they have to get off the floor, you know, or they're gonna sink in the lava, or they'll, they'll try to levitate each other. They'll put it like this, and they'll go, It it won't do anything. Uh, I learned that um, these stones, when they're together on this gauntlet, makes this the most powerful glove in the world. And that in the movie, um, he snaps his fingers, right? And so you'll better watch out or I'll snap. And uh, those of you watching online, consider yourself fortunate that you're not here in this room with this powerful glove on right now. It's the most powerful hand in the Marvel universe. And I got my hand. And the most powerful hand in the universe is God's hands. And David is saying, I could use my hand to run my life or I could put my life in the most powerful hands. And he chooses to say, I'm gonna put my hands or my life in the hands of the most powerful God of the universe. And when I put my life in his hands, my life becomes secure even if I'm stuck in the middle of a place I don't wanna be. You're safe in the powerful hands of Almighty God. So you can try to do it yourself, but if you will tell yourself, remind yourself, in the middle of that mess, and I know you're going through messes that are difficult, that God's hands are big enough and strong enough to hold you in the middle. So in the last 10 days I've been talking to people as I prepared to come here, and I didn't mean to do this, but over and over again I kept hearing stories of what people were going through in the middle. And really what they were saying, what I was encouraging them is, even though something's going on, I will trust in God. Like, even though something, and I wonder what it is for you. Like, as I've been talking, you're thinking of something you're in the middle of. In just 10 days, I made a list of in just 10 days, the things people told me. And this is just in my little space, in my little world where I'm living, just having meetings with people, just hanging out with people, going to coffee. In 10 days, this is the list of things that I made that people are walking in the middle of right now. Meet with somebody who's in the middle of a suicide situation. Somebody that is going through terrible marriage discord. Somebody who is considering dating, what to do with it. Should we keep going or not, I don't know. Housing, someone who's lost their housing situation and are struggling in between. Uh, homeless people that come to our church, unexpected pregnancy, job loss, sickness, anxiety, sexual orientation issues, issues with children, stress over career moves, aging parents, hopelessness, despair, infidelity, and addiction. That's just a few days from a few people. If we pulled the room, I would imagine that there's a huge list of broken places that you feel like you're in the middle of that you wish you weren't there. You can put yours right here, right here. Even though blank, I will blank. And I can't fix it for you. I can't make it go away. I wish I could. But I do know that the middle can be really good. In my life, I've experienced that if you'll endure the middle, if you'll trust God in the middle, if you'll walk to the next step in the middle, if you just wait on the Lord, he will take you to a place of healing. Because God hears you in the middle. He knows what you need. He hears you. Keep crying out to him. And God will encourage you in the middle. God held David in the middle, in his hands. God held me in the middle, in his hands. And God will hold you in the middle, in his hands. I know the middle doesn't feel good. It doesn't get a good rap. But there is so much good that can come out of the middle. You don't need to get out of the middle. You need to let God do something so you get something out of The middle, And he will get you out of the middle eventually. He hears you, he knows you, and he'll hold you in the middle. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for these stories, these songs, these real raw emotions from a guy like David who was stuck in a place he didn't wanna be. That he was allowed to cry out to you, to scream out to you, to beg for you to show up. God, would you would you cause us to do the same? As I lead a new church and wonder how are we going to do it, and how we get people involved, and what, what's going to happen, God? How, how do we grow this thing, God? Would you would you cause me to trust you in the middle? As the people watching online and in this room wrestle with. The sickness and the loss and the brokenness and the pain and the places that they're in the middle of that they just wished they weren't in the middle of, would you cause them to cry out to you? Would you hold them? Would you encourage them? Would you remind them, God, that you're with them in the middle? God, we get tired in the middle. We wanna give up in the middle. God, would you help us not to get bitter in the middle? Would you cause us to run to you so that in the middle we actually get better. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.